Well, good morning, friends, uh, both those who are here in the room and those who are uh, joining us online. I want to welcome you. My name is Brad. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge. And one of the things that uh, I love to do in my spare time is go kayaking. So I have a two-person inflatable river kayak. You're welcome to borrow it anytime that I'm not using it. Just reach out. But one of the challenges of this particular vessel is that it does not have much draw, which is great for river kayaking, but poses more significant challenges if you're going to take it out on a larger body of water or the ocean. And for those of you who are not boaters, what a draw is, or the draft on a boat, is the distance from the water line to the deepest part of the boat. And so think of uh, boats like uh, sailboats that have dagger boards which go down deep and stabilize them, or even sea kayaks that have rudders out the back that get you at least deeper into the water. My kayak is very shallow, sits very shallow in the water. And so this is particularly problematic if there's any wind whatsoever blowing. So often when I'm out kayaking uh, on the ocean or out on the Fraser, other boats are just moving straight along toward where they need to go, and I am going this way and that way, sometimes sideways towards my target, and I'm trying to stay on course, but I just don't have enough depth in the boat to actually do that. The deeper the draw of your boat, the less you're going to get pushed around by breezes and by currents. And friends, the same is true in our lives, and particularly when it comes to thinking about our spiritual lives and development. The deeper our maturity, the deeper our connectivity with God and with other people, the less probable it is that we'll be blown or taken off course by any wind that comes into our lives. And so our teaching time today is going to focus on what does that mean to deepen and strengthen ourselves, and how does that happen in our lives, and then how does it happen in the life of of a community of faith together. And this fall uh, at Jericho, we're moving through the book of Ephesians. And the church that met in the city of Ephesus in the first century was launched and led by one of the early Christian leaders, the Apostle Paul. And he taught there and lived there for two years, and after that he moved on. And afterward, we understand from other parts of the book and the New Testament that the church struggled to get depth and to stay on course in significant ways. We read, for example, uh, in our life journaling, which is our Bible reading plan, which is in the Jericho Ridge app this last week. We were in 1 Timothy, and Paul asks Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, says, stay there in Ephesus. Stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time on endless discussions. These things only lead to meaningless speculations. They do not help people live a life of faith in God. The purpose of my instruction, Paul says, is to help all believers that they would grow in a pure heart, clear conscience, genuine faith. But some, he says, have missed the whole point. They have turned away from these things And they spend their time in endless and meaningless discussions. So Paul is writing to Timothy and saying, hey, those people over in Ephesus, they're off course. Can you stay with them? Help them get their rudder down a little bit 
deeper in this. And Paul repeatedly states his heart and his passion for unity and maturity. This is what he is after. But the question becomes, how do we get there? How do we actually move in that direction as a community and as individual? How does the church actually stay on course so that we arrive at our destination? So one possible solution, and spoiler alert, it is not a good one, is that you could board a boat or go to a church with people who look, act, and think exactly like you do, and then you'll have a pseudo kind of unity that would feel great for a little while and feel like you're moving along in the same direction. But Paul is going to help us here in the latter half of the book of Ephesians understand that when it comes to that type of community, really diversity is God's plan. It is not the problem. So there is going to be a dynamic of diversity within the life of the community of faith, and that makes it challenging to follow Jesus together in community. And yet, somehow, this is the way that God has designed to keep us on course and prevent us from being blown and tossed around, to get toward that deeper place of unity and maturity, both personally and then also together as a church. So today we're going to talk about diversity and yet unity when it comes to our topic of spiritual gifts. And so today's text is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 16. So if you have your Bibles or your device, I'd invite you to turn there with me. And I want to say, first of all, that this is not intended to be an exhaustive treatment of the topic of spiritual gifts. It's quite a deep and wide topic. And in fact, in Ephesians, these verses we'll look at today are one of only four places in the New Testament that go into this topic. And even those texts, stacking them all together, are exemplary and not exhaustive. And so if you want to do a deeper dive into this topic of spiritual gifts or spiritual giftedness, you can just go to our website, scroll all the way down to the bottom, and there's a search tool. And if you type in spiritual gifts, there's lots of messages and teaching that we've done uh, over the course of the last 16 years on that. And so you can broaden and explore that a little bit more uh, if you're interested. So let's dive into our text for today, Ephesians 4, verses 7 to 16. So last week, Paul finishes off with this great ode to unity in Ephesians 4, verses 5. And he says, there's one Lord, there's one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, Paul says, he, God, has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. And so the word special gift here is grace. He's given us a gift of grace. To all who are part of God's new family, God is inviting us into something. And he's giving us something. And so when we think about the topic of giftedness and ask the question, well, who has gifts? The answer is everyone has a gift of grace. He has given each one of us, Paul says, a gift of grace through the generosity 
of Christ. And this is a grace gift. And this is uh, in the midst of the gathered community and also in and residing in you through the presence of God's Spirit. And these gifts come, Paul says, as a result of Christ's generosity. And then Paul launches into what is perhaps the most confusing three verses in the entire book of Ephesians. He says in chapter 4, verse 8, This is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher to the heavens, or higher than the heavens, so that he might fill all the entire universe with himself. So, whatever else Paul is doing here, and trust me, scholars have spilled oceans of ink on discussing and debating what in the world Paul is doing here. Paul is quoting from the Old Testament. This is a quotation from Psalm chapter 68. And Psalm 68 is a psalm of ascent or a psalm of victory that declares the defeat of the powers of evil by Christ. And Psalm 68 sets this journey in the ancient Judean wilderness at a place called Mount Bashan. And Mount Bashan is like a deserted place that is just like crummy. It's like there's nothing there, no life. And so in ancient thinking, Mount Bashan, because it was so devoid of life, was seen as the gateway to the underworld. And so some scholars see that Paul's trying to reflect out uh, this sense of ancient thought. And even in the Apostles' Creed, uh, we look at that, it quotes from First Peter, where it says that Jesus was, quote, crucified, died, was buried. He descended into hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead. And so scholars wrestle, what does that mean? And Christ, uh, in another way of looking at this passage, in the language of Philippians chapter 2, Paul says there that Christ descended to our world, referring to the incarnation. And so that could also be in view. Another time when this going up and going down language uh, is used is another place in the Old Testament where Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and then comes down with a sense of clarity on God's rules for life together as a community. And then another place is that Jesus ascended into heaven, and then the Spirit comes down at Pentecost. So, whatever is happening here, and it could be any of those or more than those options, uh, if you're the kind of person that wants to dig deeper into that outside of Sunday AM, you just got your assignment for this week. So, have some fun with that, and then email me with your thoughts and your findings on Psalm 68 and how Paul's treating it here. But whatever the origin and the usage uh, of this quotation, what Paul is intending to do is to drive at the notion that Jesus is like an ancient warrior who, when ancient warriors conquered uh, an area or a region or an opposing force, they took plunder and then they gave it to those that were on their team and said, hey, thanks for your assistance in this wonderful battle that we just won. 
And so Paul is saying Christ has defeated the powers of evil, and one of the things that that means is that you and I and those who are in Christ receive gifts of the Spirit. And so Paul is affirming yet again that the gifts of God's grace and God's Spirit are things that we receive from Christ's victory, not things that we earn by somehow our work in defeating the powers of evil. And so he's setting some context for us here. And now he turns to his attention to what kinds of gifts were given and are given and distributed to those who are filled with the Spirit. So look with me at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Now, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do this work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. So the flow of thought here is important because these are not isolated lists of professionalized ministry positions, power positions, that somehow people aspire to fulfill in some way. And, and people have used all kinds of language to describe what Paul is after here. Uh, some use the acronym APEST, A-P-E-S-T, Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Shepherd, and Teacher. Uh, to describe, or others use language like the five-fold ministry, or those arguments about four-fold ministry versus five-fold, because there's a hyphen between pastor and teacher, or pastor-shepherd. So is that one or two? People argue about that all the time. But remember, again, this is an exemplary list, not an exhaustive list of the way in which God's grace is manifest. And note again, too, that these are functions not necessarily positions or job titles in some way. Often uh, when uh, travel with Peter in Africa, people will come up to us and hand us their business cards, and it says apostle on it, like that's their official job title in some way. Or, to be fair, like mine says pastor on it. Uh, but that's a function that I feel fulfill within the community of faith more than it is a title or a position per se. And that's why I start all the time by saying I'm a part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge because I see it as a function that God has given, not necessarily a job title in that way. So does that make sense a little bit? All right, we're going to look at each one of these and I want to say that in my thinking on this, I'm indebted to Australian pastoral theologians Deborah and Alan Hirsch. They wrote a book called The Forgotten Ways, which is an excellent resource. And they look at, like, what does it actually mean for a four- or a five-fold ministry to take root in the life of a community? And what happens when it's out of balance or missing some components? And so, amongst the multiple diversity of gifts that God has given to God's church— Included in that list is the gift of those who function in an apostolic way. And in the New Testament, uh, the word apostolic is to designate one who is sent, one who has an assignment. And often in the New Testament era, this carried the notion of having seen with their own eyes the 
Christ. And they were called upon to advance and to found and to move through different cultural and systematic barriers in order to advance the early Christian movement. So here we think about the Apostle Peter, who, for example, was called to go to the house of Cornelius and to share the wonderful gift of God's Spirit with those who were non-Jews. And Paul uses that sense of a term to identify his own sense of calling, that he feels that he has an apostolic role. And so Paul used this really in his sense of being a church planter or church multiplier. And oftentimes this has been used for mission leaders, mission movement leaders throughout history. People like uh, the ancient uh, disciple Thomas, who was a missionary from the Middle East to India, or people like Hudson Taylor, or many, many other men and women uh, throughout history who have sensed this call of being sent to break through some barrier in a way. They have this sense of newness, a spiritual entrepreneurial passion to bridge barriers to the gospel and see God do and move in new ways. And today, uh, just as an example of this, we have literally thousands of people coming to faith in Christ in and around northern Thailand as a sense of those who have this real sense of apostolic ministry or passion to see their fellow countrymen and people in neighboring villages reached. And it's with our own uh, mission agency, Multiply. And just so incredible to see God moving in powerful ways in all kinds of corners of the world as people activate these types of gifts uh, in, in and through the work of the Spirit. So apostolic functions, those who are sent ones. Next we see prophetic gifts. And prophetic gifts are often those who listen and pay attention to what God is saying and then also challenge us to pay attention to God's truth. And so often people with prophetic giftings are bringing correction into a particular space or a dominant or inherited cultural assumption. They're challenging the status quo. And we see these are people who, are, who need to pay very careful attention to what it is that God is saying to them so that they can speak that out, whether it's a word of encouragement or whether it is a word of challenge. These are often people who feel very deeply and passionately about things or issues that are on God's heart, and they invite others to join them in that sense of what it is that God is saying. And, and just like apostolic leaders have a shadow side, one of the shadow sides of apostolic leadership is it can attract narcissists because these type of apostolic leaders think, well, I'm just going to go and do it by myself. doesn't matter what the rest of these people think or about. And they have such strong giftings often. And, and apostolic leaders can go and start things, movements, and all kinds of things. And they can be full of ideas, but short on execution and organization. And so things can fall apart around them for various reasons, especially if their character is not able to sustain that movement. Now, prophetic giftings, or those who function in that way, have a shadow side as well. People with these types of giftings can become and be very chippy. They can be belligerent in their activism. Uh, we've had people with very strong prophetic giftings at Jericho in our history, and sometimes they've stood up and they've said things in the wrong tone and with the wrong timing. 
And, and so for those who have this gifting, it's very important to go about your work in, with wisdom and with a sense of discernment as to is this the right time, is this the right person and the right way to bring this that I feel so strongly about to bear. And often when prophetic giftings are not exercised in a right way, those with those giftings feel hurt and they often leave communities because they feel that they're not being, their gift is not being received in a way. And sometimes they just didn't go about the work in the wisest or most mature of way, and they didn't get a hearing. The other thing, just as a cautionary note about people who function in this way, is pay attention uh, and be aware of not overusing your voice. Because people can sometimes begin to tune you out because they just, you come into the room and they're like, oh, great, I'm going to get another lecture from so-and-so on injustice again. It's like a broken record with them. So people with prophetic giftings need to think about bringing others around them who can help you stay engaged with real, meaningful relationships, not just ideas or ideals or causes that are disembodied in some way. So that is uh, prophetic. Next we see the work of those who do evangelizing. These are inviters. These are people who call out a response to God's redemption in Christ. And they, they have a way of drawing others alongside of them and inviting the rest of the church to engage in the wider mission of God in the world. And so one of the things that uh, is a shadow side in this area is that for those who don't feel that they have this kind of gift, they look around the room and are like, well, that Sandy Young guy, he seems to be a real invitational character. That means, that's so good. It means I don't have to do any of the work of evangelizing because we'll just let Sandy do all of that type of stuff. I'm not really good at that. That's not my gift. Well, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, hey, do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of evangelizing, even though that didn't seem to be Timothy's primary gift. And so we take from that another place is that this, this sense of a call to do the work of invitation is the work of all of us, not just those who for whom the Spirit has given that sense of giftedness by grace. So, evangelizing. Next, we have the gift and the grace gift of shepherding. This uh, is a gift of those who nurture well. They focus not just on creating warm fuzzies, but it's a shepherding and a vigilant shepherding, a protective type of shepherding. They want to see maturity come to God's flock, and they exhibit a deep care and compassion for people in word and in deeds. And I want to say that I'm so grateful that we have so many people that shepherd so well here in the life of Jericho Ridge. Many of our elders uh, function in this way in significant part of their gifting. They spend time every month praying for you by name. They spend time reaching out, checking in, seeing how people are doing. 
formally and informally. Uh, Pastor Wally has very strong giftings in this area, and I want to just publicly honor him for the way he's shepherded in this past season. It's been a high-care season over the last 24 months. And so to activate and, and see that gift in his life and in the life of our community has been such an incredible uh, expression of God's grace to us. And so I just want to publicly say thank you to all those of you who have helped shepherd and care well for people around you here in the life of Jericho and beyond in this season. The gift of teaching is the last one that Paul mentions in this particular uh, section. Communicators, those who teach, those who have a passion for helping people understand God's truth and grow in wisdom. And many of our life group leaders have this gift. They work at studying Scripture and bringing it into application and, and really to bear on the lives of people uh, under their care in those groups. So I, I think here about people like Betty Ho and her group, her and Jason lead uh, a young families group together. And Betty just has a passion for the Bible and seeing people understand it and put it into practice in their lives. And it's a wonderful gift that God's given to her and then she gives to us as a community. And so many more things could be said about so many gifts uh, that people have and gifts of grace in the life of people here at Jericho. But I want you to pay attention to one clear distinction that is made in verse 12. Verse 12 says, the responsibility of those who have these gifts is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. And so there's an important distinction that's made here between the doers of ministry and the equippers of the doers for ministry. And the command that's given to those who have the gifts that are listed here is that their role within the body is to equip God's people for the not just to be the ones who rush around doing all of the work of a place like Living Well. One of the things that we imagine that we're doing with Living Well and mental health support is equipping and strengthening you and those who come into that space for whatever it is that God is putting into your life. And we want to see you strengthened so that the draw in your boat is a little bit deeper, so that you don't get pushed around by the wind and the waves. And so those of us who have these types of gifts, our pastoral staff, Pastor Jenna, Pastor Jason, Pastor Wally, myself, our job is not to do all of the teaching or shepherding or prophetic ministry or evangelizing or apostolic work. Our job, as we see it, is to equip you to be about the discovery and deployment of the important work that God has called and gifted and invited you to do in the spaces that you find yourself in. So let me just give you an example of how this works out practically in the life of Jericho Ridge. When someone from Jericho Ridge calls you or emails you or messages you to check up and check in on you, we see as staff that as being the church in action. You are being pastored. You are being invited 
into a deeper level of community. And so you don't need to wait for one of the pastors to do it. You also, as a member of the community, don't need to ask permission of the pastors to just start shepherding people around you. That is good and healthy and grace-oriented work. If, someone, if you're sick or you're in the hospital and someone comes to visit you in the hospital, that is the gifts of God and the grace of God at work in action through the people of God. And we as leaders say to ourselves, that person was shepherded. So we, we make sure that you are looked after. And so I want to be clear that it is not my job, it is not Wally's job, Jenna's job, or Jason's job to care for all of you. It is our job to ensure that you are cared for in dynamic and appropriate and healthy ways to the best of our abilities. And that involves equipping and mobilizing systems, people, resources uh, that are deployed for the grace and the use of God. Does that make sense? All right. So this is part of our understanding as church leaders as to how and what we do uh, with our days and how we're supposed to be called into serving the body as a whole. And so we use phrases like the priesthood of all believers to describe uh, from an Anabaptist perspective what we mean by this. And that means that all of you, if you are a person who has said yes to Jesus, you're a member of God's family, you are filled and empowered by the Jesus, uh, by the Spirit of Jesus for ministry, and so just go for it. Like, just do it. Don't wait around. Don't ask permission. Uh, if you need extra structural or systemic support, then we are there to help you in that, and we will join you in that. But the purpose of the gifts that God gave to the church is clear and becomes clear as we keep reading in Ephesians 4.13 uh, to verse 16. So this, this equipping, this building up, this strengthening and unleashing of the people of God for the work of God in the world, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. We will measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed or blown about by every new wind of teaching like me and my kayak. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love and we will grow in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church, and he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts to grow. So the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Paul here expresses his concern that if a part of the body is not functioning and doesn't do its part, then we will not reach the destination that we are after, unity and maturity. We're going to be blown off course in some way by wind or waves. We'll be easily influenced. We'll be tricked and we'll get into conversations and activities that are not fruit-bearing. And so Paul's reminding 
the Ephesians and us that no matter how long you've been following Jesus, no matter how, um, how much you have a sense of unity and connectedness with God's Spirit, there's always some growing work to do in our lives. And, and that starts with just recognizing that. And so today I want to invite you, think about the following question. Where in your life is there some areas for growth? Where could you benefit from some equipping or some coaching? And maybe it's a particular uh, area that you want to strengthen, a particular gift that you think, hey, maybe God's given this to me a little bit. I wonder how I would go seeking out strengthening in that. One suggestion I would make is find someone else who exhibits those grace gifts in their lives and come alongside of them and actually just say to them, hey, it seems like you know, this is really active in your life. I see God's hand at work in and through you. Could I just take some time, take you out for coffee and just learn a little bit more about how do you see that functioning in your life? Maybe for you, you think, wow, my, I would really love to figure out a little bit more about how I could be invitational and warm and bold about sharing about my faith in my workplace environment. Well, somebody that you could get alongside of would be somebody like Joel Schachter, who I see as doing this very effectively and warmly. He's a great role model. So you might just tap Joel on the shoulder and say, Joel, could I take you out for coffee? Could you sit down? I Just talk me through. How did you learn to do that? What does it look like for you? And Joel could pour out some wisdom and some coaching in your life. And so whatever area you think, I want to grow in grace in this way. Find a mentor. Find a coach that would help you. Something you admire in their life and just say, could you equip me so that I could grow in this? The second question for reflection might be more personally for you to ask the question, what gifts of grace do I have to share? Maybe you have a gift of wisdom. Maybe uh, God's given you a grace of time and so you're able to serve in ways that uh, outside and inside the walls of Jericho that other people might not be graced with in this season. And so ask the question, what gifts has God given me by God's grace that I could share and put into practice? How might God desire to show the world grace through the exercise of the Spirit's gifts in and through you? And here Paul does what he does in other places. He uses the imagery of a human together with everything that it needs. A body with healthy parts that are strengthening and bringing into places of rehealth, other weaker parts, helping other parts grow. And so think about what part and gift do you have to share that could help the whole of Jericho grow and be healthy. And then we think about this collectively as a church. What are the gifts of grace that God's given to us as a church that we can work together with the rest of the body of Christ in our city, in our denomination, in our province, and internationally as well to see God's grace come to places like Guatemala and places like Tanzania and ministries like camps and Bible colleges and works of evangelism and all of these types of things. When the body is working together, when we have gifts of grace that we can share, we can learn and receive from others, we are working together. And finally, as the worship and song team is coming, I want to encourage you to maybe take an action step. 
and act, activate in some way. Put into practice. Ask yourself the question, as I look around this particular body, who can I encourage this week who is doing good work, helping the whole body grow and become full of love? Make a point of not just thinking that or talking about it at home, but actually reaching out in some way, messaging them, emailing them, taking them out for coffee, dropping off a card, a little gift at their place. Maybe it's taking time to thank one of the volunteers in Kids at the Ridge or one of our elders who have served faithfully through a high-challenge season. There's so many people who are serving in such amazing ways and, and I want us to be a place that encourages others, that helps those who are serving in these ways and who are using the gifts of God's grace feel and see and know the encouragement that comes from the rest of us naming that. And when everyone does their part, Jericho, we will head together in the right direction. And I am confident that we'll continue to mature and grow and be healthy as a family. So we're going to move into a time of responding together uh, to God in worship, in song, and prayer. And today, Gary Stevenson and uh, Wally and Sylvia Nickel will be available at the back. You can also at any time uh, submit your prayer request online at prayer at jerichoridge.com. And I want to just encourage those of you, if you have anything that is heavy in your heart that you came with today, these are people whom God has gifted with God's grace to listen and love well. For example, uh, Sonia's dad passed away this last week. Ruth Welsh's husband died this last week. And so maybe you want to activate care for them in this time and in this season. Maybe you came with your own heaviness or something that you want to celebrate and so we'd invite you to just make yourself available to those people at the back, and they would love to be a part of that journey and lifting that up to the Lord together. The songs we're going to sing are really phrased as prayers. They're invitations to the Spirit of God to do additional deepening work in our lives and in our midst, to take our draw into the water of God's Spirit deeper. And so maybe you take a physical posture that says, Spirit of God, I am open to you. Maybe by just opening your hands or closing your eyes, actually saying that out loud, praying it to the Spirit. Say, Spirit, move me, challenge me, stretch me, deepen me, do a work in and through me today. Maybe you need to spend some time today in repentance of something that's blocking or inhibiting the Spirit's work in you. And as we sing together, I just invite you to stand with me and let's become more aware of the presence of the Spirit and the gifts and the goodness of the Spirit at work. Let's sing and respond to God together. <laughs>